Welcome to Crossroads and Cauldrons. We are two witches with jobs, families, and busy lives just like you. We talk about weaving the web of community, practicing magic, and life in the Deep South. everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Selena and I have an awesome guest for you today. Our guest is Elizabeth Autumn Nellis and they are a writer and blogger and uh, have a book coming out soon. We're going to talk about that briefly at, later on. Um, but I first met you at, well say hello. Hello. How hello. Are you? I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, I first met you at Oh gosh, Temple Fest many moons ago, like five years, six years ago. Yes, yeah. look at your memory. That's I impressive. know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and the last time I saw you was th- the last time we had an in-person Temple Fest, and everything yeah. kind of went super crazy from mm-hmm. there. So yes, it did. <laughs> you you had you had a lot going on. Uh, mm-hmm. for you and then 2020 happened mm-hmm. and here we are it's 2021 I won't see you until 2022 so it's it's nice to see your face thank you it's it's nice to see your face uh, I definitely <laughs> am missing in-person Temple Fest um, but me too yeah me too but next year it's gonna be crazy probably too crazy probably we're all gonna have to make up for the last two years <laughs> yeah I I worry about that just a smidge. There's going to be all huggers. Everyone's going to be hugging. Um. So so tell. Okay, we did that. Tell tell me a little bit about uh. What have you got going on? You are I I'm I'm part of your Patreon, so I see mm-hmm. some of the things that you're writing and little snippets and teasers, little teasers. I got a teaser this morning about your book. Yeah. Um. Do you want to just jump out and start with that briefly? Shh. Sure. Um, so I, I am a writer in all senses of the of the word. I do fiction, I do poetry, um, and nonfiction is probably one of the more recent ones. But it's I've been writing nonfiction for quite a while now too. Um, I have been working on a book for for Llewellyn for <laughs> a couple of years now. Unfortunately, um, due to personal circumstances, uh, things got put on hold for a little while there. Um, but I am working on it currently and hopefully it will be something that will be shared with the world in the near-ish future um but it is it is definitely something that i've been excited to work on and share um and in the meantime i've been doing some smaller article pieces and things of that nature uh getting back into the writing mode of things after a bit of a hiatus so so what's your book about what's your what what are you working on so it it's interesting. It's changed a little over the last couple of years. Initially, I had pitched it as a book on working with the genus loci and uh, working specifically with the the spirits of place and developing a practice within that. And and ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's still that. It's just simplified in a way that's more geared towards developing a personal practice in a way that makes sense to you. Um, and so instead of working with you know things like mythology and uh, folklore from other places and things of that nature, really looking in and hunkering down to the land that you are on and looking at the folklore that is local to you, the history that is local to you, the flora and the fauna and all the spirits that are in your backyard and developing a personal practice based around that. I am very excited 
<laughs> about about that particular topic because you don't have I mean you have mentions of it and and sort of asides but I don't know if there's a whole lot of material out there mm-hmm. strictly focused on developing your practice around your spirits like that's your whole yeah. practice it um, is yeah. so I, I want to hear more about that <laughs> that's one of the things that I, I we've we've been trying to get together for it seems like a couple of months now and, um, um yeah a a big part of that was I I just moved and so the podcast like sat on the very back burner the little one that nobody uses that one um (laughs) for two months three months how long's it been I don't know um but I really wanted to uh talk to you in the spring when we were just everything was blooming and um and talk about I, I saw a workshop that you did on rekindling and Mm -hmm. and I think that's all connected with what you're talking about with developing your practice around the spirits that you live with yeah um and so and and I've just moved into a new house so I've been sort of getting to know a whole new town a new place a new house and so that's been heavily on my mind so talk to me a little bit about about that about working with your your spirits yeah. So uh, the, the workshop in, in question was uh, more geared towards the hearth and home and connecting with that those spirits that are quite literally that you're living with, that are within your four walls, so to speak. Um, and so we have our backyards. We have the spirits that everyone kind of works with in a general area. However, we have the ones that are much more close to home, quite literally. <laughs> and so uh, working with the spirit of your house, the spirit of your hearth, developing a space for your hearth within your home so that you can connect with that energy uh, is so important to a new house and to feeling comfortable in that house. It's it's a, a partnership just as much as living with anybody else is really. And the more that you work with that energy, the more home it, homey it's going to be. Um, Our houses aren't just houses, right? They're places for us to get away from the rest of the world and have our reprieve and rekindle, which uh, was specifically that piece that we were talking about back in February, early, early spring. Um, And I, I typically tend to, I, well, this is a whole other subject, basically. But um, I, uh, through the the tradition, the traditional world uh, <laughs> wheel of the year out <laughs> the window a couple of years ago, um, and really started developing it based on that the seasonal cycles of where we are. I mean, you're down in the uh, the southeast. Um, you can speak to the fact that your seasons look probably quite a bit different <laughs> than the than the wheel of the year, which is based in. England. Um, Even up here in New England, it's very different. And so being able to focus uh, our seasonal practices based on what is actually happening around us is really important. Um, And so rekindling in in particular is that time of year in which we're really focusing on waking up the home and opening everything up again and uh, really fueling our fires after like bunkering down over the winter. Um, and so it's it's really that that emerging piece of things again. And it comes into that hearth aspect of really wanting to kindle that fire, get things going, get things moving again, uh, so that it can carry you through the rest of the end of the winter, early spring and into the summer. Um, but it's going to look a little bit different to everyone, depending on where you are, your spirits, the spirit of your house. Um, I personally live in an I think it's a little over a hundred years old, uh, 
duplex. And so I share that space with people above me as well. And it's a def- definitely a different energy than a brand new house in the suburbs or um, a- an old brick building where there's, you know, condos galore. And so there's definitely different different energy to any, every, spe- every space that you can inhabit uh, and connecting with that is so important. I agree with you. And um, hearth, Mm. that doesn't necessarily specifically mean just if you have a fireplace. We don't have a whole lot of fireplaces in homes down here because it's, you know, 90 degrees most of the year. (laughs) Um, That's true. But but it's that that central space. It's that place where you anchor your connection with your home. And that can be anywhere in your physical right space <laughs> right for for me and and personally um, we also don't have a fireplace in our apartment though they're definitely much more abundant in the new england area especially where i grew up um it's a lot of very old buildings and so there are a lot of fireplaces and hearts there uh but even those have all been bricked off and shut down the buildings are way too old and too close together for anyone to actually have fires in them without the risk of burning everything down um and so a hearth really when you look at the the soul of the hearth of what a hearth really is it's that coming together of community um, traditionally through the winter and the colder months but every society has had some sort of a hearth and some sort of a central fire and feeding area and place where people would gather and tell stories and have that community aspect and that's ultimately what it comes down to and every house has one whether it be your living room if you have if you host regular game nights in your living room and that's where you host people then that could be your hearth uh, for me it's a uh, it's my kitchen it's where I tend to I tend to cook a lot for people. I like to uh, provide for people, and especially during the holidays, that is the time where my house tends to come alive the most. Um, and so I have a hearth altar that is set up next to my oven. Um, however, I don't have an actual hearth, traditional hearth, in my house. Uh, I tend to like to think of it for those of uh, for those of everyone who have seen uh, Howl's Moving Castle who are, or who have read the books, um, the the uh, the demon Calcifer in it is this little fire spirit that, uh, well, a great and terrifying fire demon um, who helps uh, propel the, the castle forward. He, uh, he sits in the hearth and magically actually moves the castle. Uh, and it's a partnership between him and the and Howl, the character who lives in that castle. Um, and it's a pact that they've created and a partnership that they have where it's an understanding that one will do something for the other and the other one will do something for the other, in this case, moving the house. Um, but it's it's an act of feeding that and having a relationship with it and being regularly communicative. Uh, it's not something, it's a one and done kind of, hello, how are you? Goodbye. I will never speak to you again. It's It's a relationship. It's something you grow over time. You know, I think people tend to forget that, at least from my perspective, you know, and it's my show, so I feel like my perspective is super important. Um, But from my perspective, people forget that houses are alive. They carry a consciousness. They carry a spirit just like anything else does. Mm -hmm. And you do have to develop a relationship with that if you want everything to be, you want things to run smoothly. And when I've been in places where the spirit, the house spirit and I did not have a relationship versus when we did, when I came, became aware that, you know, you need to, you need to 
bond with your house. Um, the difference in just even little things like mm -hmm. how much dust accumulates and how much things sort of break down. And, you know, it's, it's very different when you're in active communion with your home and your space that you live. It's very different. One of the things that makes me very sad uh, around here. So I live in the biggest city. I, I use that term very loosely up in New Hampshire. Um, and the majority of the of the state is mountains and uh, farmland. And when you drive through the back roads, a lot of times you'll see these old dilapidated buildings um, that are just abandoned. And it is amazing how quickly a home deteriorates when there's no one living in it. Uh, it's it's really a symbiotic relationship. Um, it, you know, we take care of the house, the house shelters us. It's, it's a give and take kind of relationship. I, I'm also very animistic in my practice. So I believe that everything has that spirit to com communicate with. Uh, everything is a relationship. It takes work. It's not something that you just call on for a correspondence when you need it. It's something that you develop over time. Um, and so, yeah, definitely that that spirit is so important to be aware of. Uh, and there's that saying, you know, not every house is a home. And that's really true. That's, you know, if you don't have that connection with a house or if it's an unsafe environment, so you can't have that connection with a the house, then you're not going to have that kind of relationship with it. It won't feel like a home. Um, but if you are in, an, in a position to be able to have that relationship, it makes the entire atmosphere completely different. Um, I regularly know when I've stepped into the house of a witch, whether they identify as one or not, uh, because you can feel that connection that they have with the house of the the spirit of their house. Um, one of my my good friends is a farmhouse. She's not she doesn't identify as a witch, but she does a lot of work on her farm and on her land and her children. Absolutely love the house. It's been lived in for centuries uh, and it's so well loved and it's been within their family for forever and it's just it has that feeling of being alive that uh, you can definitely tangibly feel. We had um, what I mentioned probably and I'll keep mentioning we've recently moved <laughs> and uh, our, our previous home um, my husband and I when we moved into that house it had been standing um, unlived in for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And you could feel that, you know, when you went into the house, it just felt not empty in the sense that there was no furniture and there was no people. Yes, that's true. But almost like hollow, like sort of brooding. Um, a lot of times, a, oh, oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. A lot of times I'll refer to that as dormant. And so that's where that dormant. like that rekindling comes back and it's that reawakening of something. Uh, we I do it in the winter, but it's also really good when you move into a new place, especially if it hasn't been lived in for a while, or if the people that were living in it weren't engaged with it on that level. Um, it's it's feeding the fire so that it can come to life. Uh, otherwise, it yeah, it's going to be asleep, dormant, empty. Yeah, dormant is an excellent word for it. That's exactly how it felt, and it took until pretty much until my children were born. And mm -hmm. and that house when I first got there, I was a youngster. You know, I didn't have a, a connection with the with the house, um, and nor did I know to have one. Um, but after the kids got there, then it's the, everything started changing and the house really came to life. When we moved to this house, the new house, 
it had um, the previous owners have been here like 30 years and they deeply, deeply loved the house and took care of it. And you could tell you were walking into a house that had a healthy relationship with humans. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was in a healthy place. I was in a healthy place. We came together in a healthy place. So it was very, I was afraid that since it had so been so attached to the previous owners that it may not want, it may not be ready to have a new family. And especially with kids, this was a retired couple, you know, dogs, so much noise and activity, but the house really sort of embraced us when we got here. And I was, I was prepared for it to be like a long, slow process, but it wasn't. So it makes a huge difference on just the health Mm -hmm. of a physical house to have humans that are having a relationship with it. Right. And ultimately a house wants to be lived in. It wants to share those, those moments of life with you because it feeds into the life of the house, the longevity of the house. Um, And so, you know, bringing children into those spaces, having those cherished memories with it, sharing that with it uh, is definitely a a great way to connect with it. Um, There are non witchy, non-magical people who have great relationships with their houses. Um, there are people who have made their houses from the, the ground up, and that is something that is completely beautiful uh, and something I wish I could experience someday. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that everyone can have. Uh, and you, like I said, it's something, it's tangible. You can really feel it. The difference between an when if you look at a traditional hearth, an old traditional hearth that hasn't been lit, hasn't been sat around for forever in a day, and it's just full of ash and dark and gloomy, and you, it feels that way versus you walk in somewhere and it has a nice crackling fire going and it's well loved and the room is, is this beautiful glow in it. it. It's a completely different feeling to it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I love to hear that a house is happy. <laughs> uh, and that is a good transition because, you know, not all houses also want people to live in them. I mean, they do, but you can have some, it's not always very easy. So I, I mean, and I, oh, go ahead. I didn't no. mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, but I think you're right because, uh, you know, different people aren't going to be made for each other. You know, mm-hmm. different people aren't going to be able to live together. And I think that's, you, you hear when people are buying houses or hunting for houses or different places to move to, they feel it. They feel that connection. Mm-hmm. It's just like when you meet somebody and you're friends, like right off the bat, you feel that because it's an energetic connection. It's not about are the bedrooms the right size and does it have a pool? You know, it's about how does it feel, you know? Um, and I definitely had that connection as soon as I like put my foot down in this place. And my husband was like, Oh crap, we're going to buy this house. Uh, <laughs> and then we did. So yeah. So I'm, I'm exploring getting to know new land spirits and mm. new, you know, I, I'm doing work now that really sort of anchors and I don't know this might turn out to be a bad idea in the future. We'll find out um, my sort of physical self and my vitality with the house, mm-hmm. like anchoring my bones with the foundations of the house and that sort of thing. So we're going to sustain each other. But when one of us starts to go, we're both going downhill together <laughs> is what I'm yeah. worried about. That is definitely so. a, uh, 
a conscious decision. Um, it's a decision, in, isn't it? <laughs> it is a decision. I, it's, a, it's a beautiful decision if you're in the if you're in a position to be able to do that. Even when you aren't doing that, though, it's interesting to note that um, oftentimes when you do have a relationship with your house like that, uh, or even even if it's just an altar, even if it's just a a space that you have had that is your home base, uh, it is interesting to note that if you let it go into disarray. If you let it collect dust or or uh, ash or it just you know whatever if it if it's not in a conductive place for you then it will show up in your life as well you will also be in disarray uh, so it is important to you know clean the house and put things in the right place uh, that's a big piece of that that working agreement is making sure that it's taken care of. Um, and by doing that, it, it, you are also taking care of yourself. Exactly. My, my family is, um, not as in tune with that <laughs> as I am. Um, but I get, I get really stressed when there's like clutter and things around and things are not where they're supposed to be. And my family's just like, Oh, it's mom again. No, I, I can feel it. I can feel the clutter in inside me. It's not okay. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, Yeah. When I get stressed and my mind is cluttered, the house becomes cluttered. And sometimes when I can't clear out all the things that are in my brain, if I just clean the house, mm -hmm. they go away <laughs> or it, it opens it up. So there's yeah. a connection there. Definitely. I mean, not to dig too deep into this, but if you're you're looking at mental health purposes too, um, uh, for a lot of people who struggle with things like uh, neurodivergence or or uh, depression and anxiety, it can be really hard to keep up with those things. But also, when you do, when if whether someone helps you or not, if you're able to put the environment right and and clean it and put it in a way that is more conducive to your energy, um, it helps lift those moods as well. And so it, it's interesting how it can, on one side, it can be hard to maintain, but on the other side, it's so beneficial for it to be maintained. Um, and it doesn't have to look prim and proper for everyone. That's not necessarily what it needs to be. I, I have ADHD. I love clutter, um, but it's clean clutter. It's clutter in its place. Uh, I, I call it clutter chic. Um, if you, <laughs> I, I actually posted a uh, picture of my desk set up on Instagram the other day. And if you look at it, like there, it, it's lived in. There are things everywhere, especially books. Books are a problem, but there's, there's things everywhere because it's lived in and and that is important to me but things like trash or or laundry things of that nature that aren't uh that just aren't good for your environment um those need to be taken care of uh, in order for that that sense of peaceful mind for both you and the house yeah and see that's what i'm talking about because mm -hmm. i i suppose i i I refer to clutter as garbage and laundry and candy wrappers. <laughs> and oh my God, my kids leave their socks just right on the coffee table. Like that's a place for dirty socks to be. Uh, yeah. But no, I like tchotchkes. I, yeah. I'm, I'm very much a magpie. I have tons of, of I, don't, I like those things. <laughs> I don't know very many witches who aren't. <laughs> right? we're, we're all a little bit magpie. -y. I mean, I do bone readings because I was collecting so many tchotchkes that I was like, I need to have some kind of purpose for all of this. <laughs> they need to get to work, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. 
That's a good idea. I have a lot of, I have a lot of things. I don't have a bone set. I have rune sets and I, I, I have a goal of one day having a, a bone set. I have some pieces. I could just throw them all together and probably make a bone set, quite frankly. That's but honestly how mine started. Yeah, it, um, I, I realized one day, I, I was actually in witchcraft too, and we had to, uh, in, in the temple of witchcraft, we had to study a divination style that was new to us. And having been around divination my entire life, my mom's a professional tarot reader, That it was difficult for me to find one that I hadn't at least already tried. Um, there are some systems that I obviously don't work with, but I had tried them in the past. And so I was just like, what, what can I do in this case? And I was just like, why not just make my own? Um, and I realized that I had already this collection of things and I just allowed it to grow over the course of the year. Uh, and it, it was already half made before I started. <laughs> Um, and the the tray that I used for it ended up becoming my my witchcraft for reality map. So uh, it's interesting how those things just come together. But a lot of the times, the things that we work with the most are already right in front of our nose the entire time. Well, yeah, the things that we're drawn to naturally are they're just. See, to me, those are more part of your practice than necessarily what you might pick up from. Not to say that, I mean, obviously I teach witchcraft. I feel like there's there's definitely a benefit to, to having formal instruction, but those give you techniques and philosophies. Mm -hmm. That's not your practice. You know, your practice is what is unfolding right in front of you while right. you're studying. You know what I mean? Um so yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned something in there. You mentioned that uh, your mother was a professional tarot reader. So mm -hmm. you were actually raised in a pagan family. Is that correct? So what what's that like? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you can. You don't necessarily have the comparison, but I know down here anyway. For the most part, everybody is some brand of Christian. Uh, mm -hmm. Most prominently, I think was is Southern Baptist and. Um, the idea of growing up in a pagan household uh, is pretty foreign to most of us. I think there are usually stories of, you know, my great grandmother read coffee, <laughs> coffee grounds. Um, there's those sorts of stories all within our families, but it's under folk magic isn't, isn't viewed in the same way as paganism. Agreed. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a few, there's a few witches down here that are hereditary, which is, they say, I don't know, I can't prove it. But, you know, I have questions if you're above a certain age. But I am raising two little two little children in a pagan household. And so I'm very curious what, what your take is and, and what your experiences are in that yeah. regard. Yeah, it's interesting because I also kind of do the side eye when I hear the term hereditary, which... Um, and I actually prefer not to use the term for myself because I, I would prefer to use second generation um, because hereditary just has this connotation to it that you're claiming this heritage that goes way, way, way back and that you were initiated by your great grandmother in a forest or something. Um, and that's just not, not the case uh, for me anyway. Um, however, the the home and environment that I grew up in is also quite a bit different than modern uh, pagans that are being raised. Um, I, I grew up in Salem, Massachusetts, in the height of the the witchcraft craze going on. It was in the early 90s. Um, and 
you know, it was when all of the stores were opening up left and right. Uh, my mother actually owned an occult bookstore right on Essex Street. And so uh, it was almost like living in a pagan conference that never ended. Uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, imagine, imagine Temple Fest, but never ending. Um, but see, Temple Fest I could deal with, some of the others... <laughs> Uh, yeah, exhausting. Yeah, exhausting. No. <laughs> Temple Fest is being, uh, that's almost insulting to Temple Fest. Um, it's, it was more like a conference than like a festival because it's just, you know, you have people coming in with all of their own uh, priorities and uh, it, it, with something like Temple Fest, it's a tradition. Uh, we are all mostly coming in with the same mindset. Um, whereas this is, you know, every individual person coming through has their own agenda. So it is, it is quite a bit different. Um, but I mean, I grew up right down the street from the common, which is where a lot of uh, um, public rituals were held. We, uh, you know, the Cabot practice was, was probably the biggest one in town at the time. And my mother studied under Lori for a time as well. Um, Lori Cabot for, uh, clarification purposes uh so that that has always been kind of my roots it 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 is interesting to say though there weren't many pagan children uh it was definitely growing up in more of an adult world as a child placed in an adult pagan world um i was going to adult rituals not and i was like a child that was trying not to get stepped on doing the maypole kind of thing um <laughs> but we it was interesting i really loved it i uh i was always wanting to be right in the middle of everything. Uh, I was usually allowed to sit in on rituals because I was well behaved and I could sit and, and watch and I would just sit there engrossed. Um, unfortunately, I also have asthma and a smoke allergy. So I would usually be like leaning out the window trying to breathe um, from all the incense smoke. But I, I absolutely loved all of it and really wanted to be a part of it from the get go. Um, if we choose our parents, then I definitely think that I kind of chose that environment just so that I could get a head start on it because I already knew what I wanted. Uh, I have an older sister who uh, was also growing up alongside me in that. She's seven years older than me, though. So by the time that I was engrossed in wanting to be in those kinds of things, she was in the throes of early teenagehood and was like, I want nothing to do with all of you. I want to go be a teenager. Um, so it, it was there were maybe four or five other children uh, and that was about it. So um, yeah, it was, it was definitely really interesting. I've learned a lot early on practice wise. Uh, one thing I'm really thankful for is that uh, the religious aspect wasn't something that was forced on me or taught even. Uh, it was something that I was allowed to come to my own terms with. Um, one of the things I'm definitely most thankful for is that natural abilities that came to me were encouraged and promoted rather than being stifled, which is something that unfortunately a lot of pagans uh, who have those kinds of abilities have dealt with. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, it, it came with its own challenges as well, though. Um, it wasn't the most healthy of environments uh being you know a child growing up in an adult environment isn't always the best um and i actually ended up moving with my father around the time i was eight and he lived up here in new hampshire so i ended up kind of going back and forth for several years and it's interesting how different my parents approaches to paganism are uh, my mom is very into the the ritual and theatrics her her uh 
she's been a professional tarot reader for longer than I've been alive. Um, but her her baby, her favorite kind of mode of witchcraft is ceremonial witchcraft. She uh, is all into the Golden Dawn ceremonial piece of things. Um, and my father is the type of person that's of the mindset that you don't need tools at all. All you need is your will and focus and communication. <laughs> you don't need any tools. That's all just extra, uh, which I agree with to an, a point. I think learning wise, it's important to have those things to until you can get to a point where you can do things without them. And even then we need direction sometimes. Um, but it was almost like two completely different extremes. And growing up half with one and half with the other really allowed me to view the best of both worlds and come up with something that was wholly unique to me. Uh, and I appreciate that. That's really interesting. Um, I, no, but I feel, I agree with you. I feel like you, that, that would give you the opportunity to really find a middle ground and a balance between, because those are both two extremes. And I don't know if, if either one is particularly balanced. I agree with you. Like you don't need tools, but back to what we were saying before you develop relationships yeah, and uh, your friends can help you guys, <laughs> even yes. if it's you know a, an altar tool. Definitely, it can help you. You don't need it, but it can help. Um, and it yeah, helps oh, you wow. focus. Um, I, my personal practice is very much uh, wavelength based, and so I'm I'm a string player. I play violin, and uh, I've dabbled in the cello. I would love to play the cello more, um, but when I think of witchcraft, I always think of it like tuning a string instrument. So typically you'd play one string, get that one tuned, and then you would cross tune by playing two strings at the same time. And you can hear the dissonance between them as like a wah, wah, wah kind of thing. And you turn the peg and you tune them until that dissonance is as small as possible. So you're cross tuning them. Uh, and for me, witchcraft is a lot of the same. You tend to look at the vibration of the outcome that you want, and then you try and align your own energy to the same similar or same frequency as that outcome. And sometimes we can do that on our own. Sometimes it's a simple enough frequency uh, that, you know, it's just one note kind of thing. We can tune ourselves to that one note and that's easy enough. Sometimes it's more complicated and it requires a chord. And sometimes we, as our own instruments, don't have the ability to make a certain note. So we have to work with a certain herb that has a similar frequency or a certain stone that has a similar frequency. Um, and so tools definitely allow us to help focus and tune. I agree. I really like the way that you um, talked about tuning. I play guitar badly, um, <laughs> but but I know what you mean. I can tune. I can tune it easily, though. Uh, but no, I, I agree. That's that's a lot of the way that um, a lot of the the way just working with energy in general feels like, and not necessarily it's it feels like vibrating strings to me. But I, I also mm -hmm. weave and spin, so adjusting the the amount of tension on the frequency and and blending different frequencies together. A lot of my work that's the way I perceive energy. That's mm -hmm. the way I manipulate energy. Um, so that really resonated with me, which I think <laughs> is a perfect word to put with that. But no, I like the way you described that. A lot of people ask me, um, you know, how do you perceive energy? How do you see it? Like what, what is it? Cause we talk about feeling it. We talk about sensing it until you do it. Mm -hmm. You don't know what the hell I'm talking about, mm -hmm. you know, and it's different for everybody, which makes everybody feel like, oh, that means it's bullshit. No, it just means it's different for everybody. 
You'll right. figure it out when you feel it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like perception that. is individual. Uh, I, I usually try and explain it to people. Usually, almost everyone has had that moment of complete clarity. It's when the world just slows down and everything kind of fits into place. And you have this moment of just like eye-opening clarity. Um, for me, it happened at a concert when I was in uh, early middle school, I want to say. I was I had a solo that I had a really hard time with. And um, I, it was, I was having a hard time getting the fingering right uh, because it was really fast. And uh, in the moment that it came down to it in the concert, it was just the world slowed and I could see everyone in the orchestra around me playing their part and it just clicked and switched in. And I like the notes just all sl- smoothly came together in, in the slow motion kind of experience. Um, and most people have had that sort of slowing experience, uh, whether it had been, you know, in theater or uh, if they even working in like electrical or carpentry or um, dangerous situations tend to bring those up, unfortunately, near death experiences, um, things of that nature tend to be eye opening. You can see the universe in a different way. Yeah, because your awareness is heightened. Yeah. You know, you're kind of pushed into actually perceiving everything that's around you yeah that's really yeah it feels like you're seeing the matrix is the way uh (laughs) one of my students describes it is like you're seeing through it you can see all the ones and zeros and how it all fits together yeah so awesome what are some of the ways that you actively work to i'm all about houses right now because yep i just moved because you just Um, moved because i just moved i don't know if i've mentioned that um (laughs) So what are some of the ways that you connect to your house? I've had kind of an interesting experience um, trying some different techniques with this house that I didn't try on my other house, which I feel bad because I haven't sold that house yet. And it's sort of getting abandoned right now. I got to I got to go talk to it. I'm going to go talk to it. But um, just with uh, setting boundaries and wards and protection work and things like that, and just kind of really digging into the land here, Mm -hmm. everything is spaced in such a way that um, tying off wards and and things like that has everything's just in a particular alignment that's how I like to work mm-hmm. um, so I feel like we were drawn to this house yeah there's an interesting story about how we got here which I we don't have time for it's not it's not about me today it's about you um, so what are some of the ways that you um, what are some of the techniques that you use to connect your house and work with your house. Yeah. And your land. For me in particular, uh, I, like I said, I live in quote unquote city Um, and I, it's an apartment. And so it's not a, I don't own it. It's not a, uh, it's not a land that I can really do too much. Uh, Especially I have landlords that are a little persnickety about things that I can do <laughs> outside of my own apartment. Um, but there are things that you can do energetically for sure. Um, and for me, because I don't have access to making big differences on the land uh, physically, it is very energetic. It is just a, a uh, matter of tuning in and chatting and seeing how it's doing, leaving offerings, Um People who, you know, when I lived in a dorm, it was very even smaller than that, working with a little microcosm of an altar, uh, but tapping into the energy of the place. Um, 
anywhere you are, you can do that on a on a conscious energetic level. Um, you probably need to be able to perceive spirit in some form <laughs> in order to do it. Um, but that's all something that can be worked on. As far as physical things, I, I feel like, you know, as a as a millennial, we're all running towards this like love of homesteading and wanting our own land in the middle of nowhere so that we can develop it and farm and not live off of it. Um, I really want to keep bees. It's <laughs> like a dream of mine. Uh, actually, I do keep my- bees. Do You're you? going to love it. Yes. Oh, You're going to so- love it. My, uh, our friend Danielle um, just got bees recently, a few months ago, um, and she has said that I can help work with her bees, and I'm very excited for that. We have a great, bees and I have a great relationship, so, um, but doing things like that, working physically in the land, planting things, uh, walking your premises is huge. Uh, I mean, that's an age-old practice. Um where it's a little gentler nowadays, you can just walk it. Uh, old practices involved, you know, beating the head of small children against rocks. We don't really need to do that anymore. Um, but walking on the children. <laughs> <laughs> but walking the premises of your land, knowing the boundaries of it, really knowing it in and out, know what grows on your land naturally. Um, it, when you are opening it, your house to people, uh, being conscious of that. Uh, knowing, letting the house know beforehand. If you're providing meals, provide a little something extra to the house. I tend to actually make a little small plate for the for the spirit of the house, and I put that aside on the hearth altar. Um, you can light candles for it. I have an altar space that's maintained specifically for it, uh, where I also do work for community because it's that microcosm, macrocosm aspect of things. Um, but yeah, there's so much that you can do. Um, one thing that I've always found beautiful when people do have a house and they have children is the planting of a tree, uh, when a child is born. And that is a great way to work with the land, uh, and have that connection and and relationship with it, especially for that child growing alongside the tree. Um, there's so many different practices, but when it comes down to it, it's going to be about what you get from the house, what it wants. Not every tree is going to want you to plant uh, not every tree, not every house is going to want you to plant a tree on it. Uh, houses aren't probably going to like if you chop down trees on it. It's um, it, it's a matter of listening. Some might, you know, some uh, there are plants that are not great for the environment of a of a house, and so just working with it, listening to what it wants. Um, it's hard to it's hard to say too much. Other than that, you can. Uh, I actually am. So the the book that I'm writing is all about teaching you to have those conversations so that you can have them and develop the practice that looks best for you. Uh, I am hesitant to ever tell anybody what to do because it's going to be different for every person. Um, However, I have been working on a side project of hearth and home practices and recipes and things like that for my Patreon. Um, And so like washes for your floors when you're cleaning, washes for your windows, protection stuff, things along that nature, uh, composting, working with the energy of that, working that into your land. Um, Buying and eating consciously uh, is a huge thing that I've been trying to do because I can't grow my own herbs in my land. I can't keep animals in my 20 by 20 backyard. However, I can make the decision to buy local beef or local vegetables and live off of 
the land in, in its greater form in that way and in uh, agreement with local people who are doing that work with the land and supporting them. That's an excellent point. Um, because we, we've got a, I mean, we're obviously in different parts of the country, but I'm mm-hmm. sure it's the same for you. But we have lots of uh, farmers, like agriculture is one of our primary things here in Mississippi. So yeah, absolutely support your farmers if you can't be, if you right. can't do that work yourself, you could still connect with this land right here through absolutely. their work. And the U.S. in general has a lot of agriculture. So almost anywhere you live, unless you're in a major metropolitan area, uh, you'll have access to those kinds of things. If you are in a major metropolitan area, like if you live in New York, there's the spirits of New York and of those places are a whole other beast. (laughs) Um, And working with that is very different. It's a very different relationship. Uh, It's oftentimes a lot less personal as they have a huge life of their own and other people tapping into it and everything. Um, But there are, I feel like there's a lot of books on working with city spirits. There's much more um, resources to find along those lenses of things, but a lot less as far as, uh, you know, walking your own, your own path and your own land. Um, You can find it through folklore books of, of your region or, herbal books of your region or taking uh, herbal identification classes, things of that nature. But a lot of times it doesn't have like the witchcraft stamp on it. (laughs) So you have to kind of do the tangible research and then apply it to your witchcraft, uh, which I think makes it a lot personal, a lot more personal anyway. And it's not as hard to do as it might sound either, you know, really. Because I think for me, for my witchcraft is very hands on. It's very practical. It's mm-hmm. very much, you know, it's about the day-to-day. It's not necessarily always about, and I do like the ceremony, don't get me wrong, but it, it's not always about, you know, eight times a year. It's about every morning, you know, mm-hmm. it's about walking the dogs. It's about, like you said, composting my coffee grounds every morning. Right. That's that's where that's where the magic happens. It happens in those little, little small things that you do to connect. I agree. Um, I actually had said something in the um, the post I did earlier that you will be able to read at some point on my Patreon uh, that was along the nature of, you know, you get to a certain point in your witchcraft in which your witchcraft isn't ruling your life so much as you're living a life that is supported by witchcraft. Um, and it's just a much more natural kind of relationship at that point. I I do love community ritual. I think for me, a lot of the ceremony and ritual piece of things really comes down to the community connection and working with others in that space. I really love doing like the temple of witchcraft rituals and and things of that nature, which is why I work with the Pisces ministry. Um, But in my own personal practice, I very rarely do big ritual like that. Uh, and by very rarely, I mean maybe once or twice a year, <laughs> very rarely. Um, more often, it is just little things of, of contemplation and taking a moment to realign and um, reaffirm my my direction on things uh, and taking that time to communicate and listen. Listening is huge. Uh, that whole to be silent piece of witchcraft, I think, really comes down to to listen 
in order to listen, you have to have those moments of silence. Um, and it, it sounds, I said this in my, in my hearth and home uh, workshop, a lot of these things sound so simple and basic. And so a lot of people go, oh, that's not the fun stuff. <laughs> that's too easy. I'm going to go into the nitty gritty things. But that is where your practice lies. That is your every day. That is, I mean, taking a shower every morning, brushing your teeth. Like those aren't the glamorous, exciting things. You don't do those with community. Well, I mean, you could have you wanted to. I, I mean, it depends on the community. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is the things that are our day to day. It's the taking care of ourselves and our spirits that, uh, that really embodies witchcraft a lot of the time, for me anyway. I'd like to put a different focus on the word ritual because I think mm. there's a difference for me in ceremony versus ritual. Yes. To me, ritual is those little things. It's those things that you repeat. Brushing your teeth is a ritual. You know True. what I mean? So putting out your coffee for grandma and grandpa, you know, mm -hmm. every day, that's, that's, it's a small thing, but it's a profound thing yeah. and it helps me anchor and connect you know, um, and it is, that's where my ritual is. That's where my practice is. That's what I consider to be sort of my religion part of it. You know, that's yeah. where I have my sort of, <sighs> people get weird about the word religion. Um, it's my connection. It's my, it's my opening that bridge and maintaining that connection. Mm -hmm. And it's little, it's, it's not always a huge earth shattering, you know, meditation where I'm vibrating like this, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes it is, but, but most often it's those little things. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, I mean, in the tradition that we're in and several others, it's that, uh, it's regularly said that witchcraft is broken into an art, a science and a religion. And, uh, for me, when I initially heard that, and I talked about this in my, um, and it's actually in my book as well. Uh, but for me, I had to break down what those things meant to me, because I don't have a necessarily religious practice. I actually don't work with deity really at all in my practice. And so um, for me, a witchcraft religion is more of a devotion to self and a devotion to the universe and the greater will. It's less of a devotion to deity. It, it can be if that's what works for you. But for me and other, you know, more secular pra practitioners, it's really that devotion to the to the work uh, that it comes down to. And yes, it is those little everyday rituals that make up that work. Um, it is the less glamorous things. You can make them glamorous. Um, little things that uh, you just, I mean, I have coffee mugs that have sigils that I've drawn on them that, you know, are heat activated and allow me to have calm and peace throughout my day. Um, the little things like that you can incorporate into things, giving coffee to grandma and grandpa, uh, giving, you know, apple pucker to your your gay uncle like whatever it is that uh that allows you to connect in those moments um are definitely rituals uh i i agree with that um yeah it's the greater ceremony of things and there is a place for it definitely uh and connecting with other people is so important to me i imagine it probably is to you too since i've seen how you work at temple fest um and you know you teach you have your own community down there as well 
having those moments, you can feel tangibly everyone coming together in that energy in the air. There are those moments that are truly important, um, but just as important are the times that, you know, are in between all of that. Uh, and I feel like that's the, those are the moments that a lot of people tend to brush aside. It's very performative for a lot of people. And so um, the only times that you really see their witchcraft is when they are meeting with other people. It's like those Easter, Easter Christmas uh, Christians kind of thing. Oh, You've yeah. got your, your wheel the of the year salad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, those shouldn't be the only times you're doing your witchcraft, right? Look at, and, and oftentimes oh, it probably isn't. Look at the way that you're living your, your day to day. And I'm sure you have your witchcraft rituals uh, that you're not even aware of. And that's, that's, I think, such an important, and I don't necessarily know if you're meaning to make this point, but I'm going to make this point. Um, two things. I'm going to go back just for a minute. Let me rewind just a minute. Um, when you're talking about ceremony and, and group ritual and, and bringing community together, I think there are definitely aspects of that that are performative and are um celebratory in that way mm -hmm. but i know for myself and i know for a lot of others too um part of that work is opening a door and mm -hmm. and helping people form those bridges and and bringing through bringing consciousness bringing a higher consciousness higher vibrations if that's the the word you want to use more physically into where we are and helping us evolve as a, as a species, you know? So I think there is important work there besides yeah. celebratory, besides community necessarily in the way that human community, right? Because you're bringing spirit community into that mix too. And By I think that's important. I agree. By stepping into certain roles, certain archetypes, uh, even if you're not the one running the workshop, by, but by being a participant in them, uh, you are tapping into everyone who's done that before, all of the spirits who have joined those rituals before. Uh, there, it, there, it's We do those in-between magic, those little rituals in-between, in order to be able to get to those points of larger ritual and ceremony. And it is, an, it, it is a theater in a way, because you're putting on the masks that, you know, spirits have had before. Um, I I mean, I believe you were part of uh, pilgrimage as well, right? Um, no, uh, I haven't. No? I haven't. Oh, I haven't done the pilgrimage. You, I just keep thinking, I like do I have it. time? I know I would. I know I would. But do I have time? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so for um, pilgrimage of uh, within the temple is a uh, usually a 13 person working group that gets together for the wheel of the year but it's a lot more land-based it's a lot more locality based than an archetype based than it is on the traditional wheel of the year um, and you're each assigned a role uh, within that that you hold for the entirety of that year um, and so I did three years of it and held three different roles within it um, but you really do connect to that deeper history within that role. Um, the la I mean, <laughs> this is a little overboard. I think I did a little overachieving in this. Um, but the last I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> the last role that I held within it was Lord of the Land, um, and I quite literally was struck down at the end of the, the the summer and the beginning of the harvest and then came back and emerged into the world at the beginning of spring. And oh. 
Yeah, it was powerful. Uh, and wow. there was a quite literal, I mean, dying and, and a regeneration process that happened while I was holding that role. Uh, and those kind of initiatory experiences are what come from that that higher work of that that ceremonial piece of things um, a lot of the time. And it is such an ingrained, deep, personal work. And being able to do that with a community is something that I suggest that every witch can be a part of at some point in their lives if they can. Unfortunately, it's not accessible to everyone yet. Um, <laughs> but I hope someday it is. Uh, and it's it, it it it's those higher, larger works of being able to come together as a community that really push you into that next that next level of things often. I had no idea that that was the role you had during that time period. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was also in Gaborah when it happened. Uh, <laughs> that was so. a lot. Well, gosh, yeah. it was a lot on its own. I'm glad you're alive. Thank you. I'm glad I mean, I'm alive. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not good with the words. I'm a Sagittarius, but I'm very, very was afraid and worried for months there. So you have a lot of love and support just I all do. over the country for you. I do. I was blown away by the love and support and community. Uh, it's not something I would have expected by any means. And it opened my eyes to quite a few things. Um, and it was a, such a humbling experience. Uh, you know, magically, physically, <laughs> very, so, very so much physically. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, but holding that position in it, doing that deeper spiritual work uh, within part of that larger working group, um, it, it, it's something that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Uh, and so there, when I, when I say that the, uh, the little everyday rituals are so important. It's because I feel like they're often shoved to the side, um, but they're not any more important than the larger ceremonial pieces of things. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of times the um, actual work of the larger ceremonial pieces is shoved to the side for the sort of pageantry and the... um, you know, like, do we have the avocado dip? You know what I mean? Like it, it gets, uh, I think the sacredness of, of all acts large and small get mm-hmm. dismissed or overlooked. And I think, and this was the other point that I was going to make. I, I think let's go back to it. Um, people often, I, or from what I hear, people often dismiss the sacred acts that they do every day um, as not good enough or as not uh, profound enough or as, you know, my practice is dead. I hear that so much, you know, my practice is dead. And I'm like, well, let's talk through your day. What do you do every day? And I'm like, your practice is alive and well, you know, you're just not, that's all it is. It's paying attention to the sacred, you know, energies that are around you, the spirits that are around you. And yeah. that doesn't take a lot of, it really doesn't take a lot of work, you know, to get into that flow. And it that's doesn't. what a lot of people who've been studying for a long time. And I know you've been studying for a long time, you know, and you're, you're in your, your seminary training right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm in Witchcraft that's Live a, currently. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> I'll just tell you, that's a lot of work, but it's worth it. I, I highly recommend it. Um, but when you come out of the other side of that, 
a lot of people come out and then they feel like, what now? What do I do now? Mm -hmm. I don't have Mm -hmm. homework now for the first time in 10 years. Um, You know, but I think there's that point where you sort of become everything you've been connecting to and working with, you become part of that. And then you're just, you just live in that flow and it doesn't feel like you're doing anything, but you are just, just by your nature, you're transmuting all the energies that are around you and and shifting and and you don't feel it. So, so people start to kind of go into a depression and feel like they, you know, they used to be magical and now they're not, but they're at their peak and they don't see it. Yeah. I mean, the everything you've done over the last however many years it's taken you to do it uh, is getting you to that point. It, it is that point in which you, you go forth into the world and you, you can do, you can put it to use. Um, and it, it's interesting because I uh, wasn't part of the witchcraft community for a really long time. I actually had kind of a chip on my shoulder and I was a little jaded to it uh, because of my experiences growing up in it. And I had no intention of really joining it again until one of my friends, Nathan, joined the temple. And for for months and months and months, he was trying to get me to go to it. And eventually, I, and he's very pushy, but I love him dearly. Um, and <laughs> eventually I gave in. My first ritual with the temple was uh, the Feast of Picate. Um, I want to say back in 2015. A great oh, ritual right. for a first ritual. Um, <laughs> and... It, it completely blew me away. It was a very different experience of community than I had had in the past. Um, but th- something I struggled with upon rejoining community was feeling like my practice had to look like the people around me. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people, when they join other practitioners, struggle with. Um when, and I and think we put that on ourselves sometimes. We definitely do. Uh, <laughs> and especially in a world of social media and everyone comparing and, and posting their magic publicly. And I have feelings about that too. But um, it's it, it can be hard not to do that. Uh, and it took a few years for me to realize that, you know, I was, I was raised in this. I had concept of energy and working with all of those things my entire life. I had like my practice before joining community again was incredibly valid and I was living it naturally and it ended up uh, I think it was around witchcraft three because of course it was then I um, ended up going back to what it had been before and let go of a bunch of stuff that just wasn't I, I kept trying to force certain practices that just didn't work for me because I thought that they were what was necessary uh whereas you know whatever works for you whatever meshes with you is probably the thing for you. (laughs) And that's kind of, I think, uh, witchcraft one, lesson one and two and three and seven and 17. That's pretty much what we say every time. Do what works for you. Work with who shows up. Uh, yeah, but no, I agree. That's, that's a difficult lesson to actually take to heart, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's so much, I, I too have opinions about sharing your magic on social media, but I mean, if you've seen my Instagram page, it's just plants and cracking (laughs) jokes about dogs and stuff. (laughs) I will occasionally post things that are uh, past workings that have been dismantled Mm. or um, things that have yet to be consecrated and worked with. Uh, Like I have a couple of pictures of poppets that have been set up and everything. And everyone's always just like, what working was that? And I was just like, it's a poppet that I tied to some herbs. Um, I, I don't put for my personal picture. work out there <laughs> for this picture. Yeah. yeah I, and I, it, like, it's not to sound 
uh, hollow because I am doing that work. I then took that and did something with it, but uh, I'm not putting active work on the internet. That it's no. there's going back to that to be silent piece. But the more you put out there what you're doing, that's the, a personal working, um, the the more it's going to be pulled in all these different directions by other people's intentions of it, and it's just going to be. Uh, not great um it's just kind of basic energy work understanding makes me feel like that's that's not a great idea um i do post things like altars from mm -hmm. community rituals and things like that for that reason to connect more community but yes. no i don't i don't post personal workings online i, community I have working. very small groups of like three people <laughs> that are mm -hmm. also working on that thing yes <laughs> Uh, within, you know, our class, that's one thing. Within a tradition, even, that's one thing. But even then, if you're looking at, like, like the initiates group type of thing, um, even yeah. then, I'm, I'm probably not going to post more personal workings. Community not stuff, work. sure. Yeah. Sigils that you want to be empowered by people seeing them, absolutely. There are definitely works that are fueled by more eyes being on them and more attention being put to them. Um but for the most part, especially personal work, probably not a great idea. Agreed. <laughs> I, I'm often sort of taken aback by some of the things I see online. But I might be a 9,000-year-old lady inside. <laughs> well, yeah. Sometimes I feel that way, too, and I'm not even 30 yet. Um, Oof. <laughs> yeah i'm in witchcraft five right now while i'm in my uh saturn return as well so that's an interesting oh i had witchcraft three during my saturn return so that was that... fun so i bet you're having a real good time right now it's actually been i'm gonna knock on wood here it's been very gentle um i think oh, I, I think the uh leading i think the shadow leading up to my saturn return was really rough <laughs> um yeah. and actually the actual return itself has been incredibly gentle so far so hopefully it stays that way that's good mine was mine was kind of on the front end i think i was 29 uh mm -hmm. when i started witchcraft 3 and then we just got into the of it all together it was a mess i was a mess <laughs> glad that's over and i still had friends at the end of it some of them <laughs> I, I lost some but i kept some too which i think is important <laughs> mm -hmm. um so bless them well in the the idea of working groups too i know we had talked about uh you know, the sacredness of public ritual and how that's sometimes put aside. And I think in once you get to a cer certain threshold of people, that's going to always be the case. I don't think mm -hmm. you can have a super sacred ritual with that are public, that are open to people who can come in from any walk of life. Um, it's just people are going to have their own agenda and come in with that, and it's going to be pulled in a bunch of different decor uh, decorations, directions, decorations, nice. decorations. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so that, that makes it incredibly hard to do. But hopefully, by doing that ritual for those people, you are sparking something within them that they can then take and move on with on their own um hopefully right that's the plan uh but i think there's a reason why traditional coffins and everything were no more than 13 people you know smaller groups of people have that ability to have a more sacred working that is happening something that they can take and maintain and keep in that mindset for much longer i would agree with that i think that just having led public rituals and you know 
for years. There's when you have different sizes of, of people there um, and some are my students and some are not. And you can tell when it's when it's mostly people who are students that have been working together for a long time. There's a different. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm making hand gestures. <laughs> it's a different collective but energy. It's a different collective energy. It's a different, um, it's like a different flow. Yeah. It, it moves in a smoother, faster sort of way. But that's not to say, you know, that bringing in people from the outside, you can shore up those energies, especially if you have enough of people that are used to working together. Yeah. Together, they can sort of hold that space. And yeah. that's an important part of coming to ritual, you know, that I think people over, I think people just overlook stuff all the time. Um, but <laughs> As I think you're a participant by being a, a viewer. Yes. You're part of the work. You are an important, a yes. vital part of the work. It's not about who's standing in the middle doing all the yammering. It's about everyone. Yeah. And that holding that space and holding those boundaries for people who don't necessarily know how to do that mm -hmm. is going to facilitate and fuel that working so that they can have a transformative experience, Definitely. you know, in those spaces. So I think that's an important aspect of community work that people participating don't necessarily recognize their role is vital. Mm -hmm. It's important in the community work. So, and I think when people don't, it's when you have a lot of, or if you've just got 200 people there, there's no way you can, do, you just can't, right? you know, but those are the moments where you have, ha where you go to a big ceremony and it feels like, oh, well, that was pretty. And that was it. Because people, the people participating are not participating. They're watching like it's right. a TV show. And well, and I think that's that. also the importance of having a good ritual group too. Uh, you know, having people you can rely on to leave their stuff, their personal stuff outside the door and focus on the ritual at hand uh, is incredibly important. Um, I mean, I've taught at Pantheacon which I really enjoy Pantheacon. It's a great networking and social time. Um, and there's a wide diversity of things you can do. Uh, and I appreciate it for those things. But oftentimes the workshops are flooded with people who are just, you know, there for 45 minutes and then on to the next thing. They're not going to come in there with that, that, you know, conductive mindset. Um, and one of the things I found incredibly helpful when teaching at the, in those kinds of environments is having your friends and people who are can hold come in and hold that space with you and it, it, you know ask the right questions and really and it help imbue that energy um so that they can keep things on track uh but the energy of doing something at something pantheon like pantheon where you can have anywhere from like 50 to 200 people in the room um versus something like temple fest where almost everyone is coming in from the same background they all have the same uh, education for the most part even if they haven't gone through the mystery school, they still have experience in those those spaces. Uh, so you can usually, everyone's on a similar mindset. You can usually jump right into the other stuff. You don't have to spend time on the setting things up piece of things because you can jump right into it. Um, it's a very different different environment. It is a different environment. And, and uh, something else to think about, you know, when you have people that are working in the same tradition or, you know, you know, they're connected to the spirits of that tradition too. Yes. And they're helping manage and maintain that from the other, from the other side. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, once you get 200 strangers together, they're just batteries at that point. 
yeah. you know, they can help boost that, but you know, that's really, they can also the drain facilitator. From it, too. They sure can. They, they sure can. That is, that too is on the facilitator. I think. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. So set up the space Gosh. beforehand. <laughs> uh, yes, please. For yeah. crying out loud. <laughs> My goodness. Well, look, we've been talking for a little while and I've so enjoyed it and I could just keep talking to you all <laughs> afternoon, but I feel like you've probably got stuff to do. Well, Dang. I have a book. They to nodded. Write. <laughs> yeah, there's a book. All right. You got to write a book. Well, this has been wonderful. I've so enjoyed having you on the show. Please, please come back and talk to us and, and tell us where can we find you? You've got a, you've got a website and a blog and an Instagram and a Patreon and everything else. <laughs> got the millennial social media slew. Um, yeah, <laughs> you can uh, find just about everything on my website, which is Elizabeth Ottomnalis.com. Uh, uh, and so that links out to all of my social media. Uh, my Patreon is also linked on there. It, it's called Magic and Musings, but it's also under Elizabeth Ottomnellis. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I mean, I'm not super active on TikTok, but I'm on it. <laughs> you let um, me know if anything good's going on over there because I'm not doing it. <laughs> I I avoid witch talk. I'll be honest with you. Um, I like have, I, I will select, I'm not interested in viewing this so that it doesn't even pop up on my feed. <laughs> and I feel That's terrible probably about best. it. Oh, no. it's, <laughs> um, I'm on it for the books. I'll be honest with you. And it's, it's probably an issue because I, I'll be scrolling through it and getting all these new book recommendations that are based off of other things that I've liked because it really dictates your free page off of like an algorithm set for you. And, uh, I, I have like an entire list of books TikTok made me buy, um, which is a problem. I mean, you can see this <laughs> oh entire cart is all books I have to read. <laughs> read those and then get some. I'm just as bad. Look, I've got three shelves right here behind me of books and I get them and I'm like, I'm going to read them. I think really my hobby is not necessarily reading, but buying books, buying books. Yeah, I do also read, but I buy more books. Than I, I buy finish. more than I read. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that way I'll never run out, you know. <laughs> but then I have ebooks, which is great because you can just get the next one right after. I don't. Yeah. We've gone off on a tangent. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna link all of your um, uh, website and all your information in the show notes. And it's been absolutely wonderful having you. Please come back and see us again. Thank you for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you all so much for listening and don't forget to rate review and subscribe through your favorite podcast provider it helps us get our podcast in front of more listeners just like you if you'd like to get in touch with us you can leave us a voicemail by clicking the link in the description of this episode and you can always find us on facebook and instagram by searching for crossroads and cauldrons podcast